You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. What is up, everybody? We are here for After Impact, and I'm here with the Jareditor, which is what I am typing right now, and you should be following him on Instagram, and also known as Agent Smith, which you will find right there. Dig it. Mr. Billu. What is up, dude? And you were just saying that you're going to be trying some new stuff here in that After Impact mojo. Yep. So be excited to to see. I like it. Iteration. Iteration. That's what it's about. Uh, what's up, everybody? What's up, Facebook Live? Thanks for joining us. As always, this is After Impact. This is the show where Tom and I go deep into the episode of Impact Theory, which aired yesterday. Vanessa Van Edwards is who we're talking about. Word. You can catch that on YouTube. You can catch it on our podcast. Really, you can catch it everywhere on our website. Everywhere, it's everywhere. everywhere. And this episode is fantastic, so don't miss it. Um, we're going to be diving into it, talking about the episode, some of the ideas answering your questions if you've seen the episode. But first, I want to tell you who Vanessa Vanessa Van Edwards is, if you don't already know. She is a behavioral investigator and best-selling author of the book Captivate, Use Science to Succeed with People. So what does that mean? She studies people, their body language, their motivations to decode personality types and values. She does this in the human behavior lab that she founded and runs in Portland, Oregon. And if you've watched the episode, she is super charismatic. Very. Um, and here's the best part. She started as the most awkward person in the world. I love that. So, yeah, let's dive into that right let's off the bat. Do it. She um, talks a lot about optimizing the way you are wired. And I found it really interesting because you always talk about looking for early wins or sort of where you're naturally predisposed to do something well and then building on that. I don't say that. You talk about early wins. I do talk about early wins, but okay. my thing is, I say that, and I don't want to derail what you were saying, no, but no. I say that as a way, I get what people are saying when they say you're born this way or whatever, and so early wins is my way of acknowledging the reality of that situation, yep. but whether you leverage your early wins or not, to me, is irrelevant. You can become whatever you want to okay. be. Okay. So that's what's super interesting, because she talks about how people are on a spectrum of what they can achieve. Yeah. And she uses the analogy that um, someone who's uh, of a smaller build, a, a man who's going to be, you know, five foot five would be a better jockey than a basketball player can sure. still be a good basketball player, but they just have to work that much harder to get to a certain level. Right. Um, and I find it super paradoxical because she was the awkward person that built herself up brick by brick right. to become this super charismatic person. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so that is is the debate that's going to rage forever. And look, is it a spectrum? Yes. And oh God, do I think that the guy who's five foot is going to really enjoy the process of becoming the greatest of all time? Probably not in basketball. Probably yeah. not because there's just so many things working against them. But if for whatever reason, like that is their most true calling, it's the thing, and by true calling, I mean it makes them feel alive. Mm. That in the process of getting great at it, for whatever reason, like they absolutely love it, to me, that's what matters. Mm. And I think that that person would really struggle to, on a like historical time frame, be better than Jordan, be better than LeBron or Kobe or you know any of um, the sort of recognized greats, but that doesn't matter to me. 
Like it's the pursuit of something. It's loving that process that I think really matters. And this comes back around to the game that you're playing is, is not success. It, it's not success. It's brain chemistry. And if that guy who's five foot absolutely loves basketball and loves the process and wants to see like how far they can go. And let's say at the end of their, I mean, in sports, it's not even going to be at the end of their life. It's going to be at the end of sort of their athletic lifespan that if he was like, I had so much fun and I felt good about myself and my willingness to push and all that, that's what matters. Mm -hmm. And now I really want to expand people's minds for a second and say that if that person really wanted to be the greatest basketball player of all time, the answer for them may not be to immediately begin practicing basketball. Why? Because maybe what they should be focusing on is extending the life expectancy of an athlete, like removing that from the equation so that now we're not talking about, say, our late 20s or early 30s, sort of where you tap out, but is finding a way to push that back. And anyone that thinks that's impossible, replay this video in 50 years. Right, like I'm telling you, someone eventually, and most likely it'll be the cumulative effects of really pushing the boundaries of health and geriatrics and all that, but that is going to be pushed out, okay? Right. And so when I look at somebody like Michio Kaku, who talks about when the civilization advances far enough, they can ultimately um, harness the power of a star. Like before you get to harnessing the power of the star, which I actually believe is a real thing that will ultimately be realized. Um, you figured out aging, right? And you figured out how to keep your, um, the, the mechanics of the human body optimized for a very long time. You should also probably figure out how do you manipulate your genetics so that if you're only five foot that you can make yourself taller. I mean, like all those things. If really truly you wanna be the greatest of all time in basketball, you may have to, t yeah, you may have to take an unconventional path. Yeah. And, I get for most people that sounds absolutely absurd. And if that sounds absurd to you, dear audience, then I'm telling you right now, you're not thinking big enough. So I leave that open in my mind only for that reason, to make sure that I never artificially cap my vision of what's possible. Now, once I, hey, I have this like, it's uncapped, it's anything is possible. Then I ask myself, what am I actually going to enjoy the process of? And like a person. So if I were in that situation and I were five feet tall, I would not want to divert myself from the activity of actually playing basketball so long to solve those problems. So I would reorient myself to something else that let me be in the universe of that. Or so let's say I want to be, I'm going to be, cause I personally have a whole thing with being the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting to me. So I have obviously gravitated towards areas where I feel based on the, um, sort of skill set that I have and in the beginning unintentionally developed and then very intentionally developed. I've gravitated towards areas where I think I can leverage that and be the greatest of all time. Um, but if I had chosen a different path or if that wasn't that interesting to me, then I would universe of. So become the greatest sportscaster of all time, become the greatest um, mathematician, like the, the guy that did Moneyball, right? Where he starts looking at statistics and things like that. Okay. Like, you're now still universe of, maybe he wasn't a great player, but he could be a great coach. Maybe he wasn't a traditionally great coach, but he understands statistics. So it's like you start, if you really want to just be in that universe and you really want to excel at some area, like finding the way that you can leverage or, or at least not be held back by the fact that you're five foot mm -hmm. in a world of giants. So is becoming the greatest of all time, is that fulfillment for you? 
the pursuit of that. And, and oh, I'm going to put my drink down. This is so interesting to me. So <laughs> here is the thing that I really reward myself for, having the balls to pursue it. Honestly, I don't care if I ever get it. I, I really don't. And I yeah. won't prize myself on that because you know me, I'll have moved the goalposts right. so ferociously long before I get to what I originally thought I was aiming at that I'll never feel like I hit it because it is the willingness to pursue something that grand. It is the process of learning that I love improving things like that. Like they make me giddy. You want to talk about making me feel alive. Like when I come across information that I believe is usable, there are a few things that, that have a physiological effect of excitement on me as much as that. Yeah. And I think that's a great, um, that's a great thing you brought that up because let's talk about the book Captivate yeah. and usability. Um, I've, I'm halfway through it. We're reading it as a team. Yes. Um, it's immediately applicable. And even the things she talks about in the episode are immediately applicable to your life. Um, what was your reaction in, in reading that book? You touched on it a little bit in the episode. Yeah, so I was um, flying back from visiting that amazing woman right there, my mother-in-law, who happens to be right off camera again. Hello. Um, flying back from London. So I knew that I had, you know, whatever, nine or ten hours, whatever the flight is back. And I thought, okay, this is perfect. I'm going to be interviewing her in a couple days. Let me dive into the book as part of my research. Not So I treat books very differently if I'm researching for the episode versus if I'm trying to use it in my own life. So one is I'm sort of looking for like what's their perspective on the world? What questions would I want to ask? What are themes that I see that reveal something about them as a person? Mm-hmm. When I'm doing something just to read a book, I'm saying, how is this applicable in my life? What do I want to use? regardless of whether I think the audience would find it interesting, like how am I going to apply it in my own life? And I started out, it was total research for the interview. And then it was like the insights were just coming so fast and furious and they were making me reflect back on myself. And I like couldn't help myself in the process of trying just to like really be able to do a good interview. I started like thinking about my wife and thinking about myself. And I was like, really enthralled. And so probably like, I don't know, 30 minutes into, let's say the book is, you know, eight hours. I was just like doing a full blown book review for myself, taking notes that I would want later. Um, and it just captured me. Yeah. It captivated. It's, it's a great (laughs) book. I highly recommend it to anyone, um, who has watched the episode or even if you haven't yet, the book is awesome. Mm. Um, and we're going to be doing a workshop with the team. Yeah, it inspired you. You brought it up after reading the book, and it sort of inspired you to uh, make this a, a part of the company. Yeah, so that is really something that I think a lot about, and I probably am the only one with a bordering on paralyzing fear of what happens to culture as you scale. And because uh, I am so hell bent to scale this company and want it to be huge, and think that. From a, what does my goal of pulling people out of the matrix necessitate? It necessitates a very big machine. And that means there's going to be a lot of people. That means that there's going to be a deterioration of the, um, the culture. I've just never seen people get beyond a certain scale without that and certainly have not experienced it. So reading the book and getting the insight about 
people having different appreciation languages, um, people having different sort of primary values. Like they're just like all these different things that she talks about in the book, Ocean, um, which really gives you sort of people's makeup. I'll stop shy of saying genetic makeup, but just from, you know, the way that they're naturally wired, their environment, everything that they come to the table a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that the acronym of OCEAN, uh, which watch the episode, I won't do a whole re-diatribe of what that is here, but like the five essentially elements of any one person that once you understand openness and conscientiousness and all the different elements of it, you begin to understand how they perceive the world, how they react to the world, and so reading that and realizing I hadn't really addressed that in myself, um, that it was way easier for me to identify it in Lisa, I just thought, whoa, this could be really powerful for us as a way to communicate the ethos of the company so that the, the people that are here now who hopefully will be the future leaders of this company that will then touch a lot of people have a methodology for passing that on, yeah. for communicating to each other, a way to immediately get to know their team, which I think is a big part of what I saw happening in the culture where people that responded to my natural way of being could hear what I was saying, could internalize it and became good leaders. People that I wasn't speaking to in an effective manner because I wasn't thinking enough about really structuring the way that I spoke to the different people so that they could actually hear it. Right. Um, that then they they weren't internalizing the message because I wasn't communicating in an effective manner. So it, I am optimistic that this will be an amazing strategy. And I was about to say technology, and if you really think of her ideas as a technology that you can use to understand and convey, mm -hmm. um, it could be really powerful to helping a scale. Yeah, definitely. She says that she wants to solve people so that um, she cannot be baffled by their choices, which I thought was a really interesting phrasing. Mm -hmm. And so she's not solving people to, um, to try to change them or to try to manipulate them in a certain way, but just to really understand how to communicate with them on an individual level. Yeah. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that as a business leader, as an entrepreneur, especially when you scale to that size, um, like how, how do you maintain that ability to talk to people at an individual level based on their personality matrix? I think there's only a certain uh, number of people that you can do that with, and I think it's only effective in one-on-ones. Like when I think about what you have to do when you're in a group setting and you inevitably, so the five things, let's say, um, which I guess I'll, I'll just run through them. Uh, Ocean stands for openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So like where you fall, high, medium, or low on each of those traits is really revealing about the way that you speak, um, gifts and rewards that you will receive well, mm -hmm. um, what you're going to hear based on the language that I choose. And like all of those things are, are just really critical to understand one person. Now, when you take them as a matrix, as she talks about, and it's like you get those five elements with sort of three settings, there's so many variable composites yeah. that... Talking to a group is very, very difficult and knowing that they'll all interpret it the same way, but at least being aware of that. So you can say, look, I'm going to be speaking from my matrix set point. Like if you want to know me, and this is actually outside of ocean, but is also another important thing. Like if you want to understand me, um, one thing to 
I will seem crazy unless you know that I move towards things, not away from things. So I don't act out of fear. I act out of excitement. So mm-hmm. I'm always moving towards something that excites me. Now, if somebody is, uh, they move away from things, so they protect, they look for stability and safety, which by the way, is not a bad thing. My wife and I, in fact, balance each other out very well because that's the place that she comes from. And when I throw out, especially in the past, before we'd really learned this about each other, when I would throw out like a crazy idea or something big that I wanted to do, like she would go into what I perceived as dream killer mode, right? Like trying to poke holes, like asking all these questions, seeming like she's doubting its validity. When in reality, she needed to get comfortable with it because first she would move away from the fear, the bad things, all the things that could go wrong before she would then click over into then moving towards the vision. Uh, but because I, I was identify always, with that. Yeah, oh, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. And in you and I, like this has been a fascinating relationship for me because of every human being that I've ever met in my life, you're the hardest to read. And I don't know if that's because like we just like take every sort of um, metric uh, matrices entry point and we're just like the opposite. Like maybe yeah. this, I don't know. But um, but because of that, I have like with Lisa, who has become a tremendous partner to me because she's so different. You've become a tremendous partner because you're so different. And so we complement each other, which yeah. I think is very, very effective. Um, so understanding your matrices, uh, matrices endpoints, I'm not even sure how to say that, but like understanding sort of where you are, what your composite is of all those things is really, really useful. Definitely. All right, I want to do a couple of quick shout outs to our Facebook Live audience and welcome them here on After Impact. We have a shout out to Melanie Morton from Paris. Hi, Melanie. Paris, what is up, Paris? Uh, Rhonda Hutchman from Ireland. Nice. What's up, Ireland? Going international today. Ryan Fadonke from the Caribbean. Not sure where in the Caribbean. Fadonke? Fadonke? That's amazing. That's amazing. I'm probably butchering that, but yeah. Depending on where. But even if it could be mispronounced as Fadonke, that's already (laughs) cool. So thank you for joining us, guys. This is After Impact. This is a show where we go deep into the episode of Impact Theory. And today we're talking about Vanessa Van Edwards, who is awesome. Um, here's a question from Rohan, uh, Rohan Wallawalker. Nice. Wallawalker. Um, Tom, Vanessa Van Edwards said that we need to know uh, the way we are naturally wired. How do you figure out how you are wired versus what you can change about yourself? How do you know what you should leverage about yourself and what you can change? So I actually considered biting this little foam thing off the microphone, which is weird. <laughs> it's a weird instinct that I have to bite. I'm yeah, not sure where that, you're like, a biter. what is that? Uh, so you can change anything. Literally, oh God, sure. Uh, here's really what I think. Uh, I think that you can pretty much add anything. You can't always take things away. So mm. for... Uh, that may not be true, but you'd have to let me do medical interventions like, have you seen A Clockwork Orange? Yes. Like where they pin his eyes open yeah. and they make him take Ipecac, which makes you vomit. Right. And then watch. So he's really into violence and they make him watch violence and then they make him drink Ipecac. And so he begins to associate the two. And so now anytime he goes to get in a violent situation, he starts feeling nauseous, which breaks the cycle of violence. Uh, so there are probably even things like that that you could do. But do you really want to be doing things like that? Probably not for the most part. Right. But I think just like as, uh, let's say I'll talk only in the sense of 
positive direction, empowerment, so that there's sort of natural inclinations that will catch you in the back. I think the, the human animal is designed for positive and effective adaptation. So I just think there are so many chemical rewards and all that as you get better and improve at something. So when I say that you could do anything that you want, add anything, improve anything, I'm talking in a positive direction. All right, let that just sort of be stated. Um, so I think, you, I think you literally can do anything. But there will be things that come easier than others. And mm -hmm. so he sort of has two questions. One, if you want to know like where your natural wiring is, she's got a lot of amazing quizzes. Go to her website and take them. I'm, I'm, I would do a worse job than she will if you just go and they've got all these yeah. um, well-thought-out questions. But I think asking and answering the questions honestly is the right answer. Uh, questions have been an obsessive focus in my life. My wife and I, like when we're together, uh, especially if it's like a vacation mode, we're essentially just asking questions. And so we keep a running like list of questions to ask each other. Whenever we go on a trip, we write a bunch of questions down that we want to ask. One of my obsessions with Q&A, which you will attest to, I was like saying to the team over and over and over, put me in a position where I'm answering questions because they come at you from all these like weird varying angles. And because I verbally process, like it's perfect. Yeah. I can think of something. Oh, wow. I've never like thought through that. It, there's a nuance to the question that triggers something in my mind. It's fantastic. Um, so asking yourself questions and giving honest answers, I think really is a key to that. I think that where people go wrong and Vanessa and I talk about this in the episode, certainly in Western uh, everywhere in every human culture, there's an ideal. And when you don't live up to that ideal, you feel weird. So, for instance, when I was going through Ocean, the words that they use, some of them seem inherently positive or negative. Mm -hmm. So, conscientiousness, to me, is inherently positive. Mm -hmm. And if you're a conscientious person, then you're a good person and you think about other people and that's more valuable. So, when I realized that their definition of conscientiousness, I was actually crushingly low at. Yeah. Because the way that they define it is you like routine you like things to be clean and orderly right. and you you pre-think through things all of which i am astonishingly low at right. so and i've talked about it before if i'm about to go on a trip my wife it is so weird i literally don't know how she does it she thinks of everything that we're going to need down to like the power is going to be different so we need different power adapters we need locks for our cases like she's got it all yep I just want to show up with enough to wear that I don't get arrested. So I will start, I have to do it this way. I start at my toes and go, okay, what's going to touch my skin? Socks. What's going to touch the socks? Shoes. Uh, what do I need? Pants. Oh, don't forget underwear, belt. And I'm literally just walking up myself shirt, which I'm doing right now. Uh, I would forget my necklaces, except I put them in a place where I happen to catch them out of the corner of my eye all the time. That's the only way those things get packed. Uh, and I do that on purpose. So I don't, I don't put my necklaces in a box. I drape them over the box. Otherwise, I'd forget they exist. Wow. That is, that is how I am. And I have not spent the time and energy to get good at that, which I believe I could. Right. Uh, but it doesn't seem worth it. I take all of my toiletries. Um, they, I keep them in a bag so that all I have to do is remember to grab the bag, which right. I've forgotten, by the way, yeah. because... If once I'm in pack mode, if I don't then take that bag and put it on top uh, of my case, I'll forget to put it in my case. Yeah. That's so all what she's I'm talking about too, right? Like understanding how you're wired and then sort of hacking your way into improving in those areas. And yeah. It's like, that's what you've done. Yeah. And I like her notion of optimize, right? Yeah. So you're going to optimize for that because she's, oh God, what did she say? Like basically you need to know how you're wired and deal with it. Nah, 
like needless to say, I pushed back against that. And she said, well, how about then optimizing? That felt good. Yeah. That felt good. It yeah. felt good when I rewatched the episode. I thought, yeah. Yeah. Optimize. I can get behind that. I like that too. Um, okay. Here's another question from Jumani. Jumani, what's up? He says, uh, say if someone wanted to change their character or personality to accomplish a certain goal or dream, you think someone can dramatically change their personality, like changing their character traits in Ocean? So 100%. Question. Yeah. 100%. I mean, Vanessa did that, right? A, yes. B, the human animal wants to feel good about itself. So I promise you, if you change your identity, change the things that you allow yourself to feel good about and do it over and over and over, eventually it does become real. If you need any truth of that notion, look at what happens. Societies can go positive based on the, the um, peer pressure of that group or think of a company. or Like think about um, Enron versus Tom Shoes, right? So Enron very specifically had this hyper competitive culture. It was doggy dog. They prided themselves on that and they didn't see coming the way that that would create like all this lying and backbiting and like I don't know how they didn't see that coming, but that's one of, one of the reasons I look for compassion instead of competitiveness. Even though I have competitiveness in me and I think that it's good, like reinforcing it, reinforcing it, reinforcing it in a culture, like that goes somewhere really scary and dark, especially unlike on a basketball court where like it just, either you're good or you're not and like everybody has a chance to bring their skills to bear in a game that has very clear rules and you either win or you lose. Um, there are so many places to hide in a company that it, it really gets terrifying. And then Tom Shoes, where it's like everything is founded on wanting to do good and help people and all that. And yes, we're here to make money. And yes, this is for profit. But at the same time, at the very core of our ethos is one for one. So that's peer pressure at its most apparent, right? So one answer was really horrifying and the other was amazing. But that's like it's not that the people in Enron were bad. It's yeah. that they created a reinforcing cycle, an identity cycle that created bad behavior. And now let's really be crazy and over the top, like Nazi Germany, right? Like you, you look at that stuff, oh my God. And I'm researching um, Bassem Youssef's book. He's coming on the show. This dude is so fucking interesting. Everybody right now, go figure out who this dude is. I'm, that weird dinner that I got invited to, he happened to be one of the guests. And I had like two weeks... Don't let me derail too far. I had just two weeks before seen a documentary about him, and I thought, this guy's suicidal. That was literally what... So when I realized who he was at the dinner, I was like, you're in... Like, that's suicidal. Did like, how did you... That? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I'm well, me at all times, my friend. I know. So this was... Yeah. We'll have to get so into So anyway, that. we connected. He's coming on the show. Going to be absolutely incredible. And he's talking about what happened in uh, Egypt post-Arab Spring. You want to say, like, there's no way. I don't know anybody that could start acting crazy like that. But not only do you know people that could start acting crazy like that, you ready for the scary truth? You could start acting crazy like that. Like, if you allowed yourself to change your identity, you got in a group that reinforced negative shit, like, just to fit in with the group. Do you think you could start acting crazy like that? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I, knew, I knew the answer to that question. Um, oh, God. No, because I would remove myself from the group but only because i know how dangerous how easy like i am as susceptible it's just that i've spent so much time and energy building an identity that is resistant to that it's not impervious 
And so I would have to get out because if I stayed in, I wouldn't be able to stay sane long enough. Like I have no interest in playing the role of the double agent because I can only imagine what that does to your real value system. Yeah. So eh, be bad mojo. Let's talk about personality a little bit. Um, so Vanessa says that you know she was book smart growing up, um, but she didn't focus on her PQ, which I'm assuming is personality quotient for her. I think, yeah. Um, how important is personality, how, personality skills in business, in life? Which I know, because I know you're big on psychology. Yeah. I know you're big on understanding how the mind works and how people perceive things, but personality itself. Can we talk about beauty for a second? Okay. As someone who knows that whatever amount of looks I have will fade, it's terrifying to me that for reproduction purposes, we respond to beauty. You can't stop it. And I, going back to what you're saying, can you change anything? I truly, truly believe that when my wife is a bag of wrinkles, I will still be sexually attracted to her because there are things you can do to additively also now be attracted to that. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'll stop finding a 23-year-old attractive, which, by the way, I picked that number because they did this interesting study where for guys, no matter how old the guy is, 23 is attractive. And for women, there's like a sort of a five-year period of attraction that follows their age up to like 40. Um, so I think that um, that is losing my train of thought. So anyway... We it, went from personality can, to... Yeah, so you can additively add things to that, but the reality is that humans respond to a certain thing. Thank you. So humans respond to a certain thing. So personalities like beauty. It's just there are things in personality that we will all respond to. This is interesting. God, what book was this in? Doesn't matter. I recently read a book and I think the guest came on because I think I read it. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was in, um, in fact, it was. It was Embarking Up the Wrong Tree with our mm -hmm. boy Eric Barker. I don't think we talk about this in the show, though, that even if you... Um, if you ask somebody who's pessimistic to fake being optimistic, if you ask somebody who's introverted to fake being extroverted, they'll be happier, even though it's fake. They know it's fake. You've simply asked them to fake it. And even though it's fake, you've merely asked them to fake it and they do, they, they are happier. So they're just things. And the reason they're happier is people start responding to them differently. They feel more powerful and confident. People respond to them as if they are more powerful and confident, even though everybody involved knows it's fake. Um, you can, uh, faking, if your boss knows that you're flattering them and it's fake, they still like you better, even though they know it's fake. Flattery like will get you everywhere. hundred <laughs> percent. And this is, so this is all to me like elements of personality, yeah, right? Yeah. That you don't want it to be true. You want to believe that naturally I just feel sullen and quiet and internal and people should love me for who I am, but they're not going to. They're not going to. Yeah. And people are hardwired to respond to certain things and that's just it. And so you can have better luck, like if you're sullen, introvert and all that, you can hope for the school of fish thing, which is people respond to people that look and act like them. So you can find other sullen and, and withdrawn people. But good luck having a relationship because neither of you are like putting that energy and effort out into like really build a connection. So personality matters. Certain personality types are more effective at getting other people to connect with you. Connection is always advantageous. So it's, yes, personality matters. There are certain traits that you should work on. Um, being extroverted is useful. Learn to do it.
When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools. Tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply yeah i agree and in her book, because I'm reading it right now, she has some really practical things you can start to work on. And she, um, one section is all about like networking events or social events and how to interact. And just like really easy, you know, conversation sparkers is what she calls them. 
um, ways to engage people that are going to be more beneficial, that they're going, you're going to have stronger connections. They're going to remember you. She says, talks about that's very important being, mm. if you're forgettable, that that's not a good thing. Right. If people don't remember your name when they've met you before, it's not a good thing. It's so. not a good thing. Cool. Um, let's go over to our Facebook live audience let's and just it. welcome them back. Thank you for joining us on After Impact. Uh, we're about midway through our discussion of Vanessa Van Edwards' episode on Impact Theory, which launched yesterday. You can check it out on our website. You can check it out on YouTube. You can check it out on your podcast app of choice, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Overcast, whatever you like. And by the way, if this is adding value to your life, please do share. Share this content. Yes. Share this content. It helps us getting guests Numbers is like the most important thing because yep. uh, the first thing a potential guest does is look at the numbers. Um, so sharing this content helps us build the community, which helps us then get better guests. And then also we want to pull people out of the matrix. Like yeah. that's the mission. It was funny. Somebody asked me the other day, um, or maybe I just asked myself, I don't remember how this came up, but whether or not I care enough about film and storytelling and comic books and all that stuff that I would work as hard as I'm working and put the kind of capital into it that we are? And the answer is no. And I was surprised by that. I thought, wow, it actually isn't important enough for me to work this hard for. But what is, is pulling people out of the matrix. That's the, the real thing for me. When somebody comes up and says, I did something that I wouldn't have done uh, positive and empowering because of your content, like, that's the juice. So helping us build the numbers will help us get more people out of the matrix, which hopefully resonates with you guys and hopefully is meaningful to you um, and is more than just numbers, not about the numbers. Yeah. And here's a selfish argument for you. If you can help us share the content, it helps us get our numbers up, which brings on good guests. And then you can take that information when you watch the episode. Word. So. Truth. Works Truth. both ways. Uh, here is a question from... Uh, so Bonnie Noel wants to know, did she look at your wallet? She did. I actually, and I think we recorded that. My <laughs> wife is always behind this column, so I can't ever make eye contact with her. Um, but we recorded that downstairs. We should turn that into a clip yeah, are we uh, and that? put that out. And she, if I remember right, actually laughed out loud when I handed it to her because it was like the definition of low conscientiousness. Yeah. Uh, because it's like this, hi, my Yanega. Um, is is like just a, a money clip yeah. and like it's just stuffed in there. She probably could have described your wallet before you handed it. Almost certainly. Yeah. Bills out of order, not facing the same direction. Like, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, I can't remember if we did the squiggle hug or not, which I people commented on. Yeah, they were YouTube. like, what happened? That makes me super uncomfortable. If we did it, uh, I can't remember if we did it or not. If we did, I didn't like it, A. Uh, and B, I have no intention of ever doing squiggle hugs again. Yeah. I don't like doing things that make me feel silly. Yeah, I know. You're not silly. Nope. Silly. I don't groove on silly. Okay. Which is surprising even a little bit to me. Yeah. Because goofy, I don't mind. Silly is What's the difference between goofy and silly? You know, that's right? the only reasonable question to ask. Um, goofy is like, no worry about whether you look stupid or... I want to use the word silly, but I'm stopping myself. <laughs> you know, if you look awkward or laugh at funny, like I don't mind being laughed at. That doesn't bother me uh, because my internal compass of who I am is strong. But what I do mind is internally doing something that makes me like squirmy 
like just feel ugh, okay. and silly things make me feel that way. All right. Fair like enough. over I don't like juvenile comedy. That's perfect. Okay. And that like uh like that's very juvenile to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Um here's a question from Vinny. Vinny Brigantz. What is that Vinny Brigantz? I love this episode, especially the part about ambivalent relationships yeah. and their harmful effects. It got me thinking about limiting ambivalent ambivalence from my life in general. Um, Tom, do you have any thoughts about the role of ambiv- how amb- blech, the role that ambivalence plays in limiting people from building the life they want? Yeah, so I'm going to use a different word because so ambivalence is like, I guess ambivalence is I like it and I dislike it, right? So I. Th- I'm almost certain that's true. And most people think of ambivalence. Can you look this up? I want to make sure that I'm right about this. There's one word that people take to mean indifferent, and it really means like and dislike sort of equally. I, I think I, it's ambivalent. My understanding was you're just not sure exactly how you feel about look, it. Look it up, but. because that's how most people take it, and I think that it's actually different. Um, but we'll know soon enough. I like frenemies. People that are your friend. It's a state of having mixed feelings or contradictory ideas. Exactly, right? So it's, it's opposite ends. It isn't indifference. It's, right. it's really those opposite ends. Frenemies to me, and as I like, try to differentiate, I guess frenemies just has like a more visceral thing for me, but is, is literally the same thing. Because they are your friend, but they're also your enemy. And I have had powerful frenemies in my life. And it's so grotesque. And my wife is um, saying that we're going to be posting the wallet video later today. Yeah. Okay. Um, so frenemies are sinister. And when I read an article, and I don't know if it's citing the same research that she's talking about, but I read this article that was like the most damaging thing in your life is not enemies. Like those are fine because you know who they are, easy to spot. It's the frenemies. It's the people that are in your inner circle, man. And sometimes they're supportive. And other times they're not. And you never know mm. what you're going to get. Like, that's shitty, dude. That is super yeah. shitty. That's a bad friend. And you think they're aware? Here's the most terrifying thing about evil. They never see themselves as evil. So you're saying frenemies are evil. I'm saying frenemies are... How about this? Right now I'm thinking of very specific people. Yeah. And there is an evil streak in them. In my definition, they're just being human, right? Yeah. They're just being human. And the banality of evil is where I come down on the evil scale. It's the insidiousness of just being a human. It's the, like Nazi Germany, it's the insidiousness of some people just fall prey to the group. They just do. Yeah. And following orders to them is okay. Like, how this many years after Nazi Germany and all of the like people talking about how they said they were just following orders. How could you ever say that? Like, how could you ever go? Well, my boss told me to, how, how do you let those words slip out of your mouth? Like that's madness. If I ever found myself about to say it, I'd be like, well, I have to change everything about my life because it, it's a known problem. So falling prey to known problems is a little crazy to me. So it's that insidiousness. So when I say evil, that's what I mean. They're not like mustache twirling villains who just want to ruin things and see the world crumble. It's they've allowed themselves an identity that requires your destruction in order for them to feel good about themselves. That is what I mean when I say evil. That's just crazy. Like to when I say I want to beat somebody, evil to me is what um Tanya Harding did to Nancy Kerrigan. That's the right way, right? Tanya Harding was the one with the club. Nancy Kerrigan's the one that got club. Because she wanted, or I guess technically it was her boyfriend, but 
she wanted to win so badly. Like if she had to crack the knees of the other girl, then so be it. That's evil. That come yeah, on, man. Like, how can you take pride in that? Like, how could you feel good about that victory? That's just madness to me. Um, so I have had people in my life that clearly wanted to weaken and wound me to make sure that I didn't beat them. So it's the notion of slow down so I can lead. And I remember the first time that occurred to me, I was like, this motherfucker wants me to slow down so he can lead. Like, that's crazy. Like, why would, how do you feel good about that? So yeah, that, that to me is, is super icky. Those are the, I've had frenemies like that. Shame on me for letting them in my life and how long it took me to realize that they were both friends and enemies. Um, and that that's, it took me reading it to go, that actually is way more toxic than if I just knew they were my enemy. Do you have any advice on what to do once you identify someone as a oh, yes. frenemy? What, what do you do? What do you think I'm going to say? I'm going to say you cut them out of your life immediately. You just, you know, stop associating yourself with that person. Um, but how do you actually do that? Well, you're 100% correct. That's absolutely what I would say. Cut them out of your life with like prejudice. Um, how do you actually do that? By having the balls to make a change. That's just the truth. Um, I'm not sure that I agree with um, Vanessa's notion of like breaking up with friends. I have thought so much. Frenemies, yes. But people that have become stale, as she said, I don't know. What do you think about that? And then I, remind me to actually them? answer the question. Of actually how you breaking cut money up life. with someone? Yeah. Um, like, do you think you should? Should you call up the friend that you've gotten stale with and be like, we're officially breaking up? No, I don't. Because I think two things. One, um, if you're feeling that way, the other person's probably feeling that way too. And I think the relationship will just naturally kind of take a back seat. Um, and I also think that it's possible in the future that friendship could be rekindled and re-sparked by something. And you don't know what. You don't know how your life's going to change. So why would you ever sort of create an end stop on something? I think you can successfully sort of compartmentalize them out and focus on other people and it's not going to take any mental energy away from those other people. I totally agree. And I, I find her so crushingly insightful that yeah. I wanted to just take every piece of advice she had. Uh, that was the one I, I didn't even want to try. I was like, uh. yeah. So, and she may mean when it's still drawing on your time and energy that's that fair. you have to shut it down if it's not working for you. But I just think in my experience, most of the time it, it just sort of naturally goes away because very fair. I'm so curious to know what my wife thinks on this one because she's like got to have things out. Like that's a thing for her. And I'm not like that. Like things just fade away. Yeah. I have no beef with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my wife may actually want to break up. I don't know. I'd be curious to talk to her about that. We should talk about that on relationship theory. Um, so, and then how do you actually cut people out of your life? So, Frenemies. Yeah, frenemies. Yeah. How do you cut frenemies, which are the only people I'm actively interested in cutting out? Um, it is, I love Vanessa Van Edwards saying, you and I were talking about this. Um, I love her thing about brutal honesty. So my fantasy in life is to at all times be brutally honest and at all times receive brutal honesty. That is such a gift. It is the gift that I want from everybody I encounter in my life. And when we were talking, the reason that I said, so you and I were talking about how to handle like something else, another business relationship. 
And I was like, I'm, I know the strategic thing to do is to soft shoe with them and not give them brutal honesty. And I said, but I'm really worried what you'll learn about me if I do that. Mm -hmm. And what do I do? Because strategically for the business, it is so clearly the right answer. If for no other reason, then, hey, down the road, maybe this is a rekindled relationship. Maybe it's better. Um, and to have said like, hey, this is that weird thing that I think there's, it just makes this relationship untenable. Um, and at the end of the day, we decided, yeah, you've got to be a little bit, you've got to be delicate. You've got to be thoughtful. You've got to be strategic is the word I like. So you have to be strategic. But I still do worry. I really do worry. The only thing is I know over time that I can be brutally honest with you and be receptive to your brutal honesty and we'll have our own relationship. Right. But it was very important for me to say out loud, I get that you're going to judge my behavior. Like if they'll do it for you, they'll do it to you. Write that one down, boys and girls. If they'll do it for you, they'll do it to you. And so I thought, that, And that was really important for you, for me, for you to acknowledge that. Mm. Like the fact that you were thinking of it, um, you know, that deeply and you were, you were having that thoughtfulness of, around the other relationships and sort of the ripple effect it might have was super important to me. But I think to Vanessa's point, and to what you just said, we sort of know, I know what your personality matrix is. And I know that we can speak in one way and then another person, we might need to speak in another way. And only because it's just not effective to speak in the same way to every person. Truth. But again, in order for that to work, you have to know where everyone stands, how they like to communicate, and you have to communicate those things and actually talk about them. Yeah. And then I guess it's also revealing... A truth, which may be an inconvenient truth. I loved that notion that yeah. she has. That's inconvenient. Very nice way to say it. But it reveals the truth of strategy is really high on my list of values and importance. And I was thinking today in the shower, there it is very inconvenient for me to admit how important um, building this business is to me. Like the things I'm prepared to give up to make that happen are extreme. And it was inconvenient to realize like how extreme. What, what do you mean it was inconvenient? I'm being vague on purpose, but what it, why is it inconvenient? Because it's um, like loving kittens and puppies is just smart. It's good PR. And when you realize like I don't give a shit about kittens, I don't, by the way. This is all real. This is why I don't have cats. Yep. Uh, but I'm not going to go on an aggressive campaign talking about how I don't like kittens. Um, but like, for instance, I'm willing to not have kids. I care more about building this company than I do kids. That's decidedly inconvenient. Yeah. So Okay. Fair enough. Um, here's a question from Corey. Corey G. Rota. What's up, Corey? What are some of the things you do to incorporate the things that you learn from your guests in your life? Is it on a daily basis um, where you stay vigilant on watching for chances to apply it? Or do you incorporate it more by chance of realization? And All right, I'm going to stop you because normally if I miss the beginning of a question, I can figure it out in the question. I realized like the second word of this was the most important word. And I was thinking about how I just said that thing about kids in front of the person who that hurts the most in the world, which is my mother-in-law. So you want to talk about inconvenient? Yeah. That would be one of the reasons that is decidedly inconvenient is she is clutching her face right now. Um, 
so sorry, what was the beginning of the question? The question is essentially, how do you apply the learnings from guests on the, the show? Learnings. Do you Got apply it. them on a daily basis? Are you super vigilant? Or um, is it just kind of, do you just realize do things come together by chance because you've studied them and you're now realizing things in your own life? That's interesting. It is all of the above. So I try to use them immediately, aggressively, and on a daily basis. So let's say I learned 30 things from Vanessa Van Edwards. Um, I will try to use them all right away. The fact that the team is going to be doing her whole thing, like that tells you the sincerity of like how much I want to use it. Ocean, I was thinking about it myself, my wife, like really trying to understand that. Um, and then some things, the vast majority of them fade away. And they're just not usable frequently enough for them to stay top of mind. But some of them stick immediately because mm -hmm. like, whoa, that had real impact. And so then I'll use those more and more and more. And they become a real integrated part of my life. Um, and the element of chance in all of that is why was it usable right then in that moment? It may have been, well, that's where we were in the life cycle of the business. And strat like I am well aware, strategies and techniques that I'm using now are not the same strategies and techniques that I was using 10 years ago. And not just because I've gotten better, because my life has changed. And so the applicability of that thing is um, very different. So like a lot of times now, very different now, I'm trying to practice finishing all my thoughts, not assuming people know where I'm going that the applicability now in this phase of my life is very different than it would have been back then. Um, one thing that I find fascinating and that I love about all the Q&A questions that I get is people are at different stages of what I've been through, right? Yeah. So now it's like, oh yeah, like, like forgetting. Lisa and I now like, man, our money is as intermingled. Like the connective tissue in our lives is just inextricable. Like there would be... I don't even like to talk about these scenarios, which I've talked very deeply about, but if we were to separate for whatever reason, um, there, there would be no way of saying like, this is mine and this is yours. Like, like that doesn't exist. So, um, but remembering that one of the smartest things we did, one of the smartest things we ever did at the beginning of our relationship was have separate spending accounts. Because the way that we spend money is so, or was, it's not so much anymore, but the way that we used to spend money was so dramatically different. And I so did not value the things that she spent money on. And I felt righteous indignation that she should be able to tell me how to spend my money. Yeah. So that would have been a disaster. And also it was really cool when we were super poor to be able to say like, I have saved my spending money to buy you something. Like that was super meaningful. Um, so yeah, it's really fun to like get to revisit those phases in my development to be able to give somebody advice and remember the techniques that I was using, mm -hmm. remember the strategies. So that was a very long way of saying, yes, there is sort of a chance to where your life is will determine like what sticks to the bone and what doesn't. Yeah. Awesome. And then he has another question and that is what was your biggest takeaway from Vanessa? I think that at the end of the day, the thing that's going to be the most usable is the notion of um, primary value and ocean, which I lump together. I don't really separate them out. It's understanding someone's full-blown matrix, not just yeah. their five points, but like what's their value, what's their appreciation language. And man, appreciation language, that one is interesting. Mm -hmm. So in the episode, she talks about like everybody has a thing or certainly in her book, I actually don't remember how deep we went into the episode, but in her book, she talks about how everybody has a primary language of appreciation. Oh, she does talk about this. this is the example of her friend where she tried to give her, not friend, employee, she tried to give her a raise yeah. and she could tell like, mm, person's not really into the raise. Like she's giving these, um, what does she call them? Negative 
micro micro nags something like that where they they give like yeah. facial expressions body language stuff where you know like they're not that into it yeah and i thought oh my god that's so important because you want to give the gift that you would understand and certainly from a behavior like i get not everybody wants the movie armageddon it's a nod to my uh, wife's sister who was given that movie and she was like what are you doing like that is so not interesting to me from yeah. her fiance uh that tells you a little something. Who, by the way, is a fan of the, the show. Hi. Yeah. Um, and giving the gift that the other person actually wants is super, super important. And I, I have a hypothesis about you, by the way, that we'll have to talk about. Oh, I'd love to. Um, about what, because you've said that, um, don't tell me that, God, there's a name for it, acts of service. That acts of service are your love language, so you want your wife. How I like to receive. Correct. Yeah. How you like to receive. Yeah. Um, is acts of service, and we were both like, "Whoa, how do you pull that off in like a business, business setting?" Yeah. And maybe it really is. By the way, it is entirely possible um, that it is. Hey, man, look, I know you're overloaded right now. Like, I want to take one of those things off your plate. It may be that sort of dead simple. Yeah. And maybe that's a great way to show you appreciation. In fact. What's something right now? What can I take oh, off your man. plate? Do I have to pull up my Asana list? You should. Let's do it. I think this is real and this All is right. interesting. It'd be good for people to see. I need to review. Um, like, give me a nasty one, one you really don't want to deal with because that's how much you mean to me and this company, quite frankly. Okay. Bear with us here. This will just be a moment. So, whilst he looks up that task, um, I have a hypothesis about maybe what a secondary thing is that's important to him. I'm really curious to have that conversation uh, and find out if that really is meaningful. But understanding sort of where people fall on that, like what's going to be a meaningful gift, how they view the world, do they move towards things, away from things. Ocean, ocean is something very, very much I highly recommend everybody to do a breakdown of themselves and the important people in their life, it will save you a lot of stress. All right, All right you have an answer have for us? One. So you know I'm always big. I'm tr trying to push you to do more written content. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we want to create here and that has been asked for by our audience is a guide to your mindset mantras and mental triggers. I will do that for sure. Does that feel like an act of service though? Because that was something I had to do anyway. So it, I guess I'm was, stopping you from having to bug me. It was, but it was it was going to be, I was looking at it as more of a collaboration. Like we were going to start outlining those things based okay. on previous content and then have you come in, add your thoughts. And we were, we were going to so try to I make it easy it from for start you to finish. Because I know help. you're not big on written content, but yeah, yeah, if you would just do it. Chase, can you just amazing. put a note for me to do that? And I will do that. Awesome. Thank you. Cool. For ways. And now when I deliver that in a very reasonable time frame, you'll have to let me know if that actually was effective. Okay. Because I want to, obviously I see this as a very long-term relationship, so I want to make sure that we get good at cool. that. Appreciate that. Um, for sure. Okay. Is that that question? We, okay. Um, so I have a few more questions. Um, she talked about self, um, self-soothing, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. How do you self-soothe? And I wanted to ask you, how do you self-soothe? All right. This is important. And people used to ask me a lot, like what, what, like if you really had to put your finger on what makes a great entrepreneur, my answer is self-soothing. Mm -hmm. The ability to self-soothe really fast, really fast. And my goal was to get to the point where I could self-soothe before the reaction hit my face. Like even micro expressions that you would, you would literally have no idea that I was going through something difficult because I had structured my identity. I had um, gotten control of my emotions to the point where that like horrible feeling of whatever 
was the trigger for an empowering habit loop. Um, that it kicked into something in my identity, something in my mantras, like all of that stuff that would um, allow me to self-soothe just insanely rapidly. And the way self-soothing is absolutely critical and maybe the most important thing um, to becoming great at anything. So uh, being an entrepreneur to me is a stand-in for a, a mindset that allows you to be successful at the highest level at anything. So it doesn't just have to be building a business. Um, and what I'm doing in that is focusing entirely on identity and saying, okay, my identity is that of the learner. My identity is that of somebody who has an ego, has a, a massive ego, but his ego is built around something that is anti-fragile so that it isn't based on who I am today. It's based on my willingness to become something. So that's what I was talking about earlier. I don't mm -hmm. care if I ever actually become mm -hmm. the greatest of all time, but what I value in myself is the willingness to believe that I can do it, to take the active steps to actually become it, to be willing to risk, right? If I didn't believe that I could become the greatest of all time running a studio, become the greatest of all time at doing the interview show, that the two weren't interconnected, I wouldn't spend millions of dollars of my own money um, trying to build this thing, right? So it, you have to have that arrogance of belief. Now, walking is the act of falling forward with the belief that your foot will catch you before you fall on your face. That's all walking is. Like when you really think, you actually alter your um, center of balance, your, your gravity and running is that to the extreme to where you're actually falling forward a little bit and you catch yourself and catch yourself and catch yourself in such a predictable, speaking of things falling, such a predictable pattern Okay. <laughs> you just making sure it's not the light. The look on your face said you may actually need to be concerned about yeah. this, which is such my personality. Until I saw that on your face, I thought everything will be fine. Um, so it, it is the act of altering your balance so that you're falling and catching yourself. And that is how I feel every day. Every time I spend some ridiculous amount of money, I'm having that moment of, hey, I'm falling, I'll, but I know I'll catch myself. I'm falling, I'll catch myself. I'm falling, I'll catch myself. That is my life. And I so value in myself that I have built the identity of knowing I will do whatever it takes within my code of ethics to catch myself that I don't have the fear. And so we just had somebody here yesterday who said, um, what's the, like, the scariest thing you've ever gone through as an entrepreneur? And I was like, I, my brain doesn't work like that. Yeah. So I, and the reason my brain doesn't work like that is I have a massive tolerance for risk. And the funny thing for me is that hasn't always been the case. So I used to be an incredibly fearful person and I've just trained that out of myself coming back to what um, started this question, which is how do I um, get to that point? And the answer is identity, identity, identity. Like once you've trained yourself to have that identity, once you've trained your emotions, like your negative emotions to be triggers for a positive habit loop, you can self-soothe very, very rapidly. So I highly encourage people to do that. So you do it in real time, in other words. Yeah, and it didn't start like that. I mean, yeah. so for anybody that's hearing all this stuff for the first time, um, I have a very long fuse. That I will say is, is nature. Um, I have a long fuse. I just don't get angry very fast, and I'm very, very grateful for that. But once I get angry, my downfall historically had been I would stay angry for a very long time, measured yeah. in hours or even days. And so I just came to the realization that that didn't serve me. Do and believe that which moves you towards your goals. That mantra um, 
forced me to change my behavior. And so I wrote a letter to myself because the problem is when somebody upsets you, usually you have a reason to be upset. They actually did something that an objective audience would go, yeah, that was kind of shitty. But they didn't do it to be evil, bringing it all back around. Yeah, this is good. Um, they're just... They just said something that they were thinking of themselves or whatever. It wasn't meant to piss you off. Like they didn't even mean that. Now they feel terrible. But because you really have the legitimate right to be hurt and upset, you invest in that and it becomes bigger. And so that happened to me. And I just thought, wow, this really doesn't serve me. And so I wrote myself a letter and I said, hey, you know that you have no agenda. So you're not telling you to calm down so that because the other person is going to tell you to calm down so they don't have to feel bad. And you know you're not telling yourself for that. You're telling yourself that because every time that you've come out of not being annoyed anymore, um, you've thought, wow, I wasted a lot of time being angry. So with no motive other than to see you get what you actually want out of life, I'm telling you, me, uh, just shake it off and use the things that you know about neurochemistry, faking a smile, laughing out loud, different body posture, all of that, your mantras to snap out of it and snap out of it right now and value yourself on how rapidly you can come out of that. So if it takes you an hour, you don't get to be stoked on that. But if it takes you three minutes, you get to be stoked on that. If you like don't say anything negative to the other person, you get to be really stoked on that. And then where I'm at now, like if you can get it to the point where it doesn't even cross your face or the thing that I'm really valuing myself for now, let's say that Lisa says something that is like, whoa, that's like actually really hurtful. Um, I will pride myself on being able to verbalize without getting upset why that's upset me, why that's difficult, how I would like to um, see it handled in the future, or if like it's an insecurity to just say, hey, look, I know you well enough to know you did not mean to upset me by that, but I want to be really honest because I don't want you to wonder like why my mood has shifted or whatever. This is why that's upset me. Um, it's an insecurity. It's not your job to fix it, but I want you to be aware like this and being able to like super calmly and with the acknowledgement of all the pettiness and insecurity, just be able to talk through it. Like I really value myself for being able to do that. So um, that is again, a long way of saying it didn't start real time, right? Yeah. I mean, it started in the moment, but I couldn't get myself out of it very fast. And so I had to use techniques that I knew that would at least shorten that time. Yeah. And she talks about there's two buckets for her. It's the you self-soothe um, alone by yourself, mm. like by writing or spending time with yourself or with other people where you sort of problem solve with those, with those folks. And it's funny for me, I used to be the alone type and then I got married and then I became the with my wife, like with other people problem solving. This is so fascinating. Tell me more. Which is terrible for a marriage, I'll just say. So, the alone thing. No. The going and trying to self-soothe with your spouse all the time. I think. Whoa. Okay. I think if you do it too much, go it's on. Bad. Why? I, I think because why and why did you make the transition? So if you were alone and mm -hmm. that was advantageous in a marriage, why then when you got in the marriage, did you try? I think it was, I was unaware. I think it just happened organically. And so you were like, this is dope. I've got somebody here. I can I talk, talk out loud. To you. We can figure out. So this. you didn't yeah. want to be alone. Once you had somebody you trusted implicitly, you were like, awesome. I can finally share. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially, but I've been so trying to do more alone lately, and I think that's actually been good. For those listening on the podcast, I have a look of such confusion on my face. <laughs> this is so interesting yeah. and diametrically opposed to the lessons that I've learned. Really? Yeah, so keep going. So why, why does it become corrosive? Not your word, mine, but why does it become 
damaging to the relationship to process with the other person? I think if you're doing it a lot, um, let's say you're in a really bad situation in your job and you're constantly coming home and you're upset or you're pissed off about something at work and you're constantly then um, sharing those burdens with your spouse or significant other or whoever you're living with, um, I think... I think it's unfair ultimately. I think it's, it's great. And that's what they're there for to support. Um, but to an extent, like at some point you can become a runaway train with that and you have to check yourself. And I think you can rely on that instead of doing the work that you're talking about, which is trying to actually in real time, bring yourself down from that, um, that state, that Mm -hmm. worried state. So, um, yeah, I think it, we've even learned with each other that we need to set limits on that and not go into it too deeply. Interesting. And uh, yeah, and I think actually falling back on sort of the self-soothing alone has been very effective. So. Wow, man, know thyself. This is the power of like whatever advice you give, and I'm very aware of this, it's not gonna be right for everybody. Sure. Because I would aggressively give different advice. Yeah. And so here's what I've learned. I am very much an internal soother. Like I don't want or need external help with that. Yeah. But in that process, when you have somebody that close to you, and maybe this is just the dynamic of my wife and I, my wife is so perceptive to my like most micro moods that she feels then disconnected. Like I know something is wrong And it would just help me so much to know what that thing is. And then the absolute worst part of all of this for me, because I don't like this, is if I for, I have zero instincts to verbalize in those moments. But if I force myself to just vomit out the petty, insecure, angry, whatever the emotion is, if I force myself to get it out, I will feel better much faster. Yeah. So, and I'm like, oh, this is so annoying because I don't want to talk about it. I want to go off and like, and this is more than, than just a mood. This is like when you're really chewing on a big problem, right? Yeah. So I have found my every instinct, impulse, and desire is to go off and deal with it by myself. And that created friction in my marriage. And so I have had to force myself to like talk it out, talk it out, talk it out. But we have rules of engagement. When I, if, if you want me to be in talk it out mode, then I'm going to be hyper feminine. Don't fucking try to solve my problem. Just let me say the thing that's annoying me and in hearing it out loud, then almost certainly I'll know how to solve the problem already. Yeah. And so if, but if you don't let me get into like, if you like, imagine when somebody tries to like tell you how to solve the problem when you're in the middle of vomiting, it's like clapping their hand of your mouth and now the vomit's like squirting through fingers. <laughs> it's like a, just a way more horrific experience. Let me just chuck it out on the floor mm-hmm. and then we can clean it up and move on. This is a wonderful analogy. I'm really hoping everybody's That's enjoying good. that visual. Yep. Um, and so, and I recognize that as, as being a frustratingly feminine trait of like, don't bring it up if you don't want my help. Like, and I will give myself some credit for, once I've chucked it up on the floor, then the only thing I'm interested in the universe is a solution. So I don't want, like, and this has been a big frustration between my wife and I, she lingers a little bit longer in that I just want to be heard. And so I all but have to set a stopwatch. Like, what's an okay, like, I've heard you, I have all these solutions, 
from my perspective, obviously. Yeah. Uh, how long do I have to wait before I can just yeah. say, here's what I think you should do? We've straight up done that. Set in a, a clock? We've said, like, you have 10 minutes to talk about this. That's genius. Yeah. And but that's, that's the so that you don't wallow in it perspective. Exactly. I see. Yeah. I see. But it hey, works. Learn the strategies that yeah. work for you and utilize the shit out of them. That's awesome. Uh, I think we're out of time. This is real fun. Real fun. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. As always, these are as cathartic for us as they are for anybody else. So thank you guys so much for joining us. If you haven't already um, really checked out Vanessa Van Edwards, please do. The, oh, her book is amazing. All of her content is amazing. It was really awesome to have her on the show. Uh, very, very grateful to her and each and every one of the guests. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and share this content, please. That would be amazing and would be the way, that would be the gift that we would receive very, very yes, well. So uh, please do share the content. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.